This is the 53rd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Berhards. With me are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christoffer Wikström. Robin also being my recent night train compartment comrade. We are very happy to have you here, dear listener. Greetings from the woods of Värmland. Yeah, hello everybody. And it's good to see Robin walking around in the woods. It's, uh, it's green and nice. Which is also why you listeners might have a sound of the wind when Robin is going to talk. Uh, Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. In tonight's episode, we shall go over our Tier 1 con trip and see how that goes, aren't we? Yeah, hell yeah. It's hijack time. So Is it uh, hijack I'm, time? It's hijack time. So I just want Robin and Victor to lean back. Maybe not Robin because he's standing outside. I don't know how that would work. But so, Robin and Victor, you're just back from Terwankan, Malmö, which is not in Denmark, <laughs> where you played the main legacy event tournament. 127 players sat down around the tables, making it the biggest legacy tournament that perhaps both of you have participated in. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct for me. Yeah, for me too. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, what were your experiences of the venue and the tournament overall before we get into the matches? Well, uh, it was really cool that it, they have like rented a huge place and they hosted different tournaments at the same times and there were vendors and all that kind of stuff. So it was a little bit of a GP feeling to the event as a whole. And I, I already witnessed that from watching the modern stream the day before and like hearing the background noises of being in a huge hall and all of the sounds that is produced. So that was really cool uh, and uh, like adding to the experience positively. No, I agree. And we had the, uh, the good opportunity also of staying in the hotel just opposite of the, of the venue. So uh, we had nice sort of evening drinks in the Sky Bar, hung around with some other cool legacy players. The venue was good, big mess hall. The tournament itself, it wasn't regular. It's been a bit of a controversy in social media, sort of during and after. People have discussed, should this really be at regular? I don't think it should have been at regular because the, the prize money was so steep. It was perhaps as an event a bit understaffed and uh, but people have given that feedback to the organizers so i'm not going to go into that too much i am as robin very happy that this event was organized and uh, it was great to i mean just having the opportunity to go and play my largest legacy tournament ever was of course great for me yeah i mean you could sum it up with a for an effort i think <laughs> and like there, there were some details that could have been better but a for an effort Yeah, like for, for me and uh, perhaps a lot of the listeners uh, who might have just tuned in on Twitch, it did feel super cool that, you know, they had all of their, a, a lot of good setup, like the interfaces looked nice, they had uh, cool commentators throughout the whole weekend, and yeah, so those those problems weren't really visible for us, but I had, I had no idea actually that it was uh, regular, and I, I kind of agree that Perhaps it should be competitive with a, in a 5K, but I'm still just super happy that uh, the like the event happened and that organizers do these things. It it does it it means everything for the community. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we're about to get into some of the action. And even if I couldn't join you physically, I was with you and the, the listeners uh, who were there spiritually. And uh, I was somewhat with you too. <laughs> physically as i kept hanging on your phones via discord 
uh, throughout the whole tournament and asking for those spicy updates. So let's give the listeners a rundown of your tournament. And I'm thinking round per round, maybe some memorable moments. And perhaps starting with you, Robin, what did you face in round one? Right, so I faced off against the blue and red Delver in round one. A nice Finnish player that has traveled to Malmö to play Legacy. I think he has a quite a blingy deck if I remember correctly. It was looking really nice. In uh, game one, I do what eight casts do best and just overwhelm him and like making the race quite uneven with the Shadow Spear. And uh, then in uh, game two, I do quite a big mistake that I have been anguishing about ever since. I think that was like defining for the results of my uh, tournament. So I will I will give you the picture. I have a construct and shadow spear attached to it and I think it is a 5-5 five five or a 6-6. Six six. And I am at 5 life and he has two delvers flip that has been attacking my life total and he just landed uh, a Merktide, a fully uh, like fully grown Merktide 8-8. And uh, I have an Ottavara in my hand, so I know that I'm supposed to bounce his Ottavara, obviously. But somehow I think about the situation wrongly and doesn't add in the life gain that I would gain if I attacked with my construct. But like as he has this Ottavara, no, as he has this Merktide, I can't like attack my construct into it because then I have no one to equip the Shadow Spear to next turn. So I should have just bounced Ottavara and attacked, or maybe even attacked, let him block Ottavara, and then bounced and let the trample damage do the damage. But I just passed the turn, <laughs> thinking I should bounce his his Merktide in his turn instead. And then when he swings, he swings with his double delver, and I'm at five, and I'm just like, oh, it doesn't matter if I bounce now, because I didn't gain the life, and now I'm dead. Oh, <laughs> so that was like, I, I think I got a little bit, you know, tilted from that mistake. It was so stupid. And like in the in the third game, I moved to five, and yeah, I, like that game doesn't really do anything for me. So that that was a disappointing like start of the event for me making that kind of combat math mistake which is uh, i mean i i can totally say that that is my like weakest point when it comes to magic i just never think about combat <laughs> math actually <laughs> oh man yeah that's uh, that's pretty rough and you know having one of those mental missteps uh, in round one of a tournament uh, you just got to shake it off but sometimes it's it can be quite tough yeah, and you know, like, I mean, it wasn't sure that I would win that game. He could have just ripped the meltdown or something and uh, the game would have been over. Uh, anyway, but uh, I would have given myself a real good chance to be 1-0 in the, in the first game there. So I've been uh, thinking about that quite a lot. So it's re- really like therapeutical to <laughs> talk about it on the cast. <laughs> Maybe I can get it out of my system now. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough start to a tournament. But what about you, Victor? Yeah, I started off playing, of course, uh, a Stockholm Mirror against one of our local <laughs> local players who is on uh, DNT. I'm playing uh, Reanimator for the event, and uh, we both are pretty certain what the other person is playing. He wins the die roll, keeps a seven. I move to six, where I have uh, Grisbrand turn two. So uh, he uh, goes vile. I go uh, basically looting, and um, second turn he plays Athalia. But I have a second land, so I can uh, reanimate and, and draw seven. Drawing not sort of the not the warmest seven of them all, and can't play petals because of Thalia and so on. And he takes up his vial in his turn. I think just passes the turn, so I get to attack. 
I think I get to connect as well. Because then I'm going to go off and sort of try and reanimate Ceres Avenger. And he vials in the Lion's Ash, which I was not prepared for. And then on my next attack, he flick the Grissom Brand on the attack. And then I do a similar type of mistake to Robin. Uh, not combat math, but general math. And I fetch myself to put myself in the lethal range if he can... Caracas sort of or whatever. Yeah, get around yeah. the Grizzle brand. Yeah, Caracas, the Grizzle brands. Because he has the Lion Sash, and I keep forgetting that it, it sort of keeps growing as, as as it does. So I lose the first game because I, I, I it wasn't sort of necessary for me to make that fetch as well. So it's, it's basically I misplay and miscalculate, and he is very good at exploiting that. And in the second game, I keep a decent five against his seven because I can... No, a six, because I can double grief grief and then reanimate grief and i basically shred his hand he has he sits with sort of lands a caldra and the mindbreak trap <laughs> when he gets to do his first draw step but then he draws seven really good cards and i draw seven really unimpressive cards and he is also a very good player and he plays really well with these cards that he puts in his hand and uh, his deck top decks better than my deck in that matchup and uh, I mean, I, I had my double double grief, but that's basically what I had. So I lose two out to the, the, the taxes. Yeah, that that's pretty rough. I'm not really sure about how how good that matchup is nowadays with the solitudes and everything added. Was it the eighty or the sixty card version? The eighty Yorion. I, I I haven't seen anyone play a sixty card the taxes uh, for a very long time. And I'm unsure about the matchup. I mean, it really depends. Like, of course, he keeps two sevens, so he, he keeps something that he knows he sort of can work with but i mean if he doesn't have the lion sash in game one i win that game easy and if he doesn't draw really well in game two i win but then again he has a lot of answers like you say the solitude the plows he can blink he can do all sorts of stuff he has the lion sash main deck i mean he is he's prepared as well I, I i've seen a lot of different opinions on how the matchup is and i am not going to try to have a hot take sort of uh, pre- <laughs> no i'm not going to pretend that i know better than everyone else when it come, concerns that so i lost anyway yeah so so a bit cool start for both of you so uh, robin what about round two so in round two i play against french player and he plays out snow-covered Island, snow-covered island, snow-covered forest. So this should get, I guess, like the the alarm settings go on. But I was thinking about some sort of control pile. And I was settling down for the long game. And then show and tell goes on the stack and I have no counter magic in my hand. I mean, <laughs> there's no real way to dig for counter magic with this deck. You can just draw cards <laughs> with your engine. So, like, it, it is what it is. But he puts in... Omniscience and uh, and Emrakul and wins the game from there. So that's that's how it can go game one. It's not it's not super far from that I actually can take the hit, sack six permanents and win on the swing back, but like it it wasn't enough. And then in uh, game two I have a lot of uh, countermatic to board in, five counter spells in total, and of course I do that. And we end up in this counter war where he uh, casts show and tell, I force, he force back, I force back. <laughs> and then the show and tell is countered. So I go to my turn and I haven't applied any pressure to his life total yet. So I present a threat. That's what I do on my turn. And on his next turn, he has another show and tell. <laughs> the classic. <laughs> the classic. So the annoying thing is that I have 
kept a Lotus Petal in my hand because the next turn I'm ready to play a Psy and I want to make tokens with it. And I have a Kappa in my hand that I can put in with Show and Tell. And if I have the Lotus Petal on the battlefield, I can Ottavara his omniscience in response. But the Petal is not on the battlefield oh, and man. I'm one mana, mana too few to do that line. So that's a little bit like annoying that I played to win and not to like stay safe so to say and he put in again omniscience and uh, puts Grisabrand on the stack and this would have been a perfect moment to uh, bounce the, the omniscience because I already have the spell bomb in play so I can also bounce his uh, Grisabrand and I mean he gets to redraw but that would put him in a dangerous life total for a swim back so uh, again a little bit of a small mistake. I could probably have won that match if I had played more cautiously, which I didn't. And like the the Grisha brand, of course, draws another Emrakul, and the game is over. Yeah, that's pretty rough. It's always hard to to know when when to play the pedals out. You might not always think about you know that you have to have Ottawara mana up. Uh, Ottawara is still a pretty new card for in some sense and you know finding all of the angles of where you might have to play it and like channel it is quite new but yeah it sounds like a good learning experience yeah i mean both my losses were sort of misplaced with <laughs> so far <laughs> like not not really taking advantage of the power of that card i, could, I should say yeah yeah well that's uh that's another another loss and uh, that uh, that stinks but you know, this is a long tournament. It's a lot of rounds. A lot can happen. So uh, what about you, Victor? I played against a super nice Lance player from uh, Netherlands who, after our game, uh, also told me that the Reanimator is basically his other deck. So we had some interesting conversations about the matchup. Uh, I win game one on turn one, basically, but it took me a lot of effort. <laughs> I had to reanimate the Grizzard brand and draw 14 cards, and I had to put Sarah's Emissary on the battlefield as well. I had to discard lots of cards from his hand because he had still outs, even though I had done sort of the first stage of crazy reanimator things. He, I saw, well, he still has game here, uh, so I have, to, I have to keep doing this, but I got three in the end in game two he goes land mox sphere resistance um mm -hmm. and that's pretty much it <laughs> so <laughs> we, we, we play for a few turns but i'm sort of not really feeling it <laughs> and in game three i move to five and he moves to six and i go i keep a five which is grief petal dark ritual reanimate looting that's dangerous just wanted to... That's dangerous. That is dangerous. But I'm feeling... I'm not really sure that I want to go to four here. I don't know if I have any pregame effects or anything. So, so this is like... Let's let's do this. So I grief him. First thing I do. I play the petal and I grief him. And he has... This is very interesting. Tabernacle, Wasteland, Ursa Saga, Loam, Sphere, Mox Diamond. So okay. I go into the tank for a little while because this is not an easy decision uh, and he has so many lines depending on what I do but after careful consideration I take the mox because I think this gives me this buys me time to get underneath the sphere for at least another turn and also will protect my land should I draw one 
perhaps from Wasteland because it needs to keep the mana. Also, if he wants to go the Ursa route. So that's what I do. But I choose to keep Grief in the yard because I obviously, otherwise he can just play, uh, play, play Tabernacle. Tabernacle. And he's like, interesting choice. I'll tell you afterwards uh, what I would have done. And then he rips the mox diamond off the top <laughs> and and uh, play sphere and and that's game basically because i can't come back from that and he said he thought it was the right choice he would have done the same but he confessed to um, me being in a difficult position <laughs> yeah but it was super sure. fun so he won 2-1 but super tight games very interesting so yeah oh well yeah that that is a pretty rough choice if uh, if our discord uh, listeners has a hot take uh, you can tell us there so uh, let's move on to round three. Robin, what did you face? So in round three, I again face a Finnish player. And uh, he starts out playing like uh, Boseju and uh, Bayou. So he's some sort of black and green deck, obviously. But I don't really see a lot of spells from him. I have a Chalice on one and he st- he's stuck on two mana. And I just present uh, quite fast little board but i have this like sense that he is on you know the the smog combo deck i i figured that the chalice on two is probably good for game two and i brought in a little bit of counter magic to fight the the battle over a possible combo kill but like in game two is a little bit similar he really doesn't do a lot of things and i get to counter like the things that matter and also play out the chalice on one so that is like one drops is just countered and the deck is just doing its thing and like i i get this feeling of that that my deck is cooperating with me and i'm cooperating with my deck again and like this is working very fluently and like i'm drawing the right card so like it's a even though they are sort of two non-games i should say where i just overwhelm him quite fast it restores like my confidence and faith in the in the deck so it's like for a tournament morale it's good for me that was my round three nice yeah sometimes you just need those uh changes of the wind to you know crush someone and move on with your life in the right direction so that's a nice pickup what about you victor a similar experience here my deck was in a cooperative mood i played a monored painter a guy from denmark and um I got to go off turn one on the draw, but didn't really matter. Sort of deploying Gristlebrand, shredding in their hand. Uh, they scoop uh, rather quickly. And then in game two, uh, Serenity gets to be a super all-star. My opponent uh, leans heavily into Leyline. So pre-game's Leyline and then uh, puts down a couple of petals and passes. And I go, I have kept a hand of... Uh, Double Serenity, Dark Ritual, Reanimate, Grizzled Brand, Unmask. So I'm like, this is this is probably going to work out. So I, I just play Fetch Pass. So his second turn, he plays another land and just passes. He plays another Saga, the first one. I go land, because I draw land, and then uh, put down Serenity. And he's like, okay, that's cool, because his Saga is going to take up to three. I'm like, I'm getting so much value here. This is going to be great. But it gets even greater, because I think my opponent misunderstands serenity thinking it's an activated ability so my opponent goes to fetch a third petal and plays karn into lattice and i'm like sure let's go to my upkeep and uh, his board is wiped and he's uh, hellbent and i play another land dark ritual uh, unmask exhume 
and he scoops from there. It's beautiful. Yeah, it, it was quite beautiful. Very yes, beautiful. it was. It was. Uh, that's literally a first for me. It was beautiful. <laughs> that's that's a combo. <laughs> it is granted. My opponent really misunderstood the card and uh, sort of played probably correct from his understanding because if he can play a lattice to make the serenity uh, inviable that's good but that's not what it does so yeah yeah that's uh that's rough good learning for your opponent also up a win how does that feel well it feels really good and i am in a lot of better spirit going into my fourth round i'm facing off a swedish player from uh, up north somewhere he's playing eight mulch a deck that i've been playing a lot as well so i sort of know what to fight and what not to fight so in game one he managed to deploy an accelerator and i force a will one of his mulches to not give him too much gas and quite early I get an Emery on board which finds an uh, thought monitor and from the uh, land's perspective that's quite terrifying to face up against when you're trying to win with the Merit Lage. So when he makes Merit Lage and attacks I just block with a thought monitor and then deploy it the next turn again and draw two cards. So like he start he stops attacking with his Merit Lage after that. And like from now on I'm going to keep mana and Ottawara in my hand if he finds something to deal with, like Tower of the Magistrate or something like that. So instead he keeps up his mana and maces my uh, turtle, like playing the the ward attacks. So I deploy a second turtle to really pressure his mana and his maces and uh, well, he he can't cope with that so I win game one with double turtle, Emery and uh, thought monitor combo jam. So in game two, he has turn two Merit Lage and I don't have time to present any answer or a blocker for that. So quite a fast game two and then into game three where I can deploy a fast Psy who like yet again stares down against a Merit Lage. And also this time I have Ottovar in hand so I feel pretty safe should he find something to remove my blockers or to get the protection from artifacts or whatnot. And again I can win with Kappa Beats. So this matchup I feel is pretty good. Like the most terrifying thing is like a turn 1 or turn 2 Merit Lage when I have not set up the defenses. But from there on I have so much counter magic. I have the bounce on my own. I have blockers. It feels quite alright actually. Yeah, that sounds nice. And uh, from our, from my experience watching you at at uh, GoffCon, it did feel like you had pretty good game against Lance. Yeah. I feel confident in that matchup. Yeah, that's super cool. So um, what about your round four, Victor? <laughs> well, I, I set up across from a really nice Swedish opponent who is quite new to Legacy. And he wins the die roll. And uh, turn one's oops all spells me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I scoop before showing him what I'm playing. But I was like, this is not something I prepared for. Looking at my sideboard, I'm like, um, I don't know. Well, chancellors are sort of decent i guess but 
sort of might not be too helpful. In game two, I turn one him. He scoops basically because I get to draw cards. I shred his hand. I can go down to sort of very little life without feeling insecure. And then in uh, game three, he has he he's like he looks at his seven. He says keep. I'm like okay, um, and I start digging for something in my mulligans, and I choose to stay on five with a hand that's gonna probably get me the game unless he turn ones me. So I do not mulligan hard for the chancellors. And in retro hindsight, that would have been the best choice because he has an indeed the opportunity to turn one me and just kills me. We both agreed that winning the die roll was very good in this matchup. Uh, <laughs> so again, in hindsight, I could have mulliganed super hard for a chancellor, but you have to have some cards to win the game with as well. So uh, difficult matchup uh, that I haven't tested thoroughly. Yeah. And I, I also think, I think the uh, latest version since Sendikar Rising, when they got their uh, their new lands, effects like Chancellor loses a bit of punch, uh, which is scary. But uh, yeah, it still feels like a nightmare matchup. Like you played three 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 turns over three games, pretty much. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's that's crazy. We saw a large percentage of the contents of our decks over these three turns yeah and i guess uh, your opponent saw 127 cards over those three games since they just flipped the library (laughs) upside down twice Uh, that's pretty nasty you're not wrong so uh, yeah that's uh that's rough but it's also super fun like uh it's uh, you know don't be don't bring a a knife to a gunfight and you both just brought tanks or something like that (laughs) like it's uh, (laughs) disgusting i think rather both of us brought sort of tank destroyer rocket launchers and no armor (laughs) yeah yeah So uh, into round five, Robin. So in round five, I faced off against another Swedish guy that I have actually played in tournaments before. I think he's located somewhere in the middle of Sweden. And he is on Jeskai control, not undoing, I should think. I put him on mentors, more likely. And game one, again, as an ordinary, undisrupted eight cast game i just overwhelm him but then we go into boarding and uh, <laughs> afterwards he shows me that he boarded in like 10 cards or something like that so there's a lot of blasts counter magic of course the whole artifact hate package and so on and you know i am pre- prepared for this matchup with with winter orbs and counter magic of my own but he he succeeds to board wipe me both uh, game two and game three and when we fight <laughs> fight over those spells like the red blasts is really good if there's not a chalice in play and like i two for one countering him and he just red blasts it. i two for one countering him again and he just red blasts it so like the, the efficiency of of meltdown for zero and red blast is is really terrifying for the eight cost player and like i try to bait him into a winter orb when he deploys his mentor i fight over his mentor so that he would tap more mana and then i play the winter orb and he says okay and i'm like yes now i think i can like tempo this game out but he has one land left and he makes a land drop and he can ending the winter orb and i'm out of counter magic so that's a thing that happens when thinking about this matchup i'm a little bit i'm a little bit disappointed in my counter magic suite i think there should be at least a few fluster storms among there to be able to hard counter opposing the sorceries because like in those matchups the only thing that matters is is the meltdown if he don't meltdown me i think i win and if he melts down me i think he wins so flusterstorm should be a hard counter there that that he cannot just reb back 
So I think I'm going back to at least two Flusterstorms in the board. Because in those matchups also the Chalice is not living very long. So I think the Flusterstorms are fine. And I mean, you can play them through Chalice as well. If you have a little bit of counter war first, build up the Storm and then just get the Flusterstorm countered. But all of the copies go on the stack. So... Uh, I take another loss there uh, from a quite a rough matchup and uh, a good player behind the behind the wheels as well. Yeah, I think their sweet is really hard to fight against if you're, especially if they're running Narset's ending and then post board rebs and meltdowns. Uh, did you see any Mystic Sanctuaries? I did. Yes. Yeah, that makes it even worse. So yeah, it's uh, it's super tricky. But uh, still, good fighting. I mean, this is one of the matchups you've been talking about a lot. It's still hard. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what about your round five, Victor? My round five, I played against a Danish guy who had brought goblins to this tournament. In the first game, I uh, turn one him, uh, as as you do, uh, as you're really expected to do in that particular matchup. In game two, I get leylined pretty hard. He goes Leyline into Lackey. I'm like, okay, I didn't mulligan hard for my enchantment hate and I am punished for it. And in game three, basically the same thing happened. I mulligan to five without finding hate. And he kept a six and looked like disappointed. So I'm thinking, well, he has Leyline, but he probably doesn't have much else. So uh, instead of going to four, I'm going to keep this otherwise really good hand and just sort of see if we can play the long game here. But he goes Leyline Lackey. And I'm like, I don't know. It, it, a good poker face. So he looked pretty tired. I think he was out partying the day before. So I might just have misread him. Maybe he didn't have like Muxus to put in with, uh, with uh, Lackey. Like this is a uh, two out of three. <laughs> he drew the Muxus. Let me just tell you. Because I, I oh, grieved him. And, uh, he's like, oh, I have a pretty. He had a pretty luckluster hand. Sort of. I would. I would give him that. But then, of course, he drew Muxus, and it's all over. <laughs> it's all over, basically. I, I. I reanimate his Snoop in that game uh, in order in order to look at my top card, so I can fetch away whatever isn't what I need, which I thought was sort of a fun play, but it didn't really help me. And in this matchup, <laughs> this is where I'm starting to feel that one. I am sort of. I am sideboarding slightly incorrectly. But also, if I had the transformational show-and-tell sideboard here, I would have benefited a lot. And this is where I'm starting to think that the Chancellors of the Annex, who came in sort of against Oops in the previous round, didn't do their work anyway. So these guys, I'm thinking here in round five, like I am, I'm at one and four now, and you guys have not been helping. So um, yeah, that's my round five. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. Like your opponents, like, if you just look at Death and Taxes, Lance, Painter, and Goblins as four of your five, five opponents so far, like you're not bringing Chancellor in. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's pretty rough. But uh, perhaps some tides can turn. We'll see in round six. Robin? All right. So in round six, I face off against another Swedish player, and he is playing the Epic Storm. In game one, I have quite a fast chalice that is bottlenecking him so he plays uh, burning wish and grabs empty the warrens so in my next turn i have a saga trigger and i fetches up the shadow spear and to be ready to raise goblins so he he like switches around from that idea and goes for stormline where he wishes for uh, echo and like he just abandons the goblin plant and i have uh, drawn one of my force of wills for the echo and 
the game is over after that because he's hellbent. Then in game two, he deploys a fast defense grid and I have metallic rebuke in my hand and a lot of uh, available artifacts. So that's pretty cool that I could, if I had needed it, I could have paid for <laughs> the defense grid costs by tapping artifacts. But in a similar fashion, I have uh, some of the hate pieces. So I play out my uh, Graftigger's cage to stop a fast echo line. And after his defense grid, he plays out a Wishclaw Talisman. And I have Saga Trigger that fetches up a needle that says Wishclaw Talisman. And he's just like, ah, can't do anything. <laughs> and then like before he even gets to a point where he can present something that I need to rebuke, I get to kill him with constructs. So two quite fast and felt pretty safe in those games, beating up TES. And I think like playing both counter magic and chalice and other hate pieces is is really rough for that deck. Yeah, I've uh, I've played the matchup at our LGS and it feels it feels pretty good. Chalice on one, sure they can do things like they don't have to care about it, but they can't sculpt and they can't play rituals, which makes everything really tricky. So yeah, having chalice and forces, like you said, it's a nightmare for for those decks, especially if like they're they're packing a lot of veils these days and they don't get through the chalice either. <laughs> so it's uh... yeah, that that's like why I like chalice on one instead of on zero because if it's on zero, of course it shuts off a lot of their mana as well. But they can just veil <laughs> and play through the chalice triggers. So yeah, chalice on one is really strong there, and chalice on two is not bad either. No. And also, Chalice on zero is pretty bad for you. Yeah, it's terrifying for me. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's a good decision to put it on. Yep. What about you, Victor? I play a very nice listener to the cast. I forgot to ask, so I'm not going to name my opponent. But opponent, thank you for really good games and nice conversations. He played Grixis uh, Hidetsugu. In the first game, I get to resolve Gristlebrand and draw seven at least, and then Thoughtseize, so I go down to one, and he still has some cantripping going on, and he deploys Baleful Strix that I feel I need to attack into, because if he bounces me or whatever, I'm just going to be dead to the Baleful Strix. So they trade, and then I'm uh, sort of... I just pass on that sense. This is my turn four, I think. And then he, on his turn four, play yes. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> this game is over. And that game was over. In the second game, I have a sort of Chancellor start with a middle to six and some other things to do. But my opponent has a double force of will hand. And I try to push through that, but I then do not top tick any more of my spells that I would need to. And my opponent deploys Hidetsugu and then Jace again. So... I lose 0-2 to Grixis midrange, and uh, it didn't really feel close, even though I got to uh, resolve a Grixisbrand in my first game. I think it is a tricky matchup for Reanimator. You're facing against also discard from their side, which is also pretty scary. But from an Aluren standpoint, when I play against Reanimator and I get the Strix into play, it's like Archon or Bust pretty much, because uh, they never want to attack into it. And, uh, you know, Sarah's uh, Emissary, is that the name of the... Yep. Yeah, that's that's a pretty scary card, but they're packing, you know, um, Sudden Edicts, they have Jace for Bounce, and a lot of nasty stuff, so it's it's really tricky. I think Arkan might be one of the better things to be doing in that matchup. For sure. But it's it's super scary, like, they have so much stuff. Thank you.
So yeah, that leads us into round seven. Robin, do you want to tell us what you played against? Yeah, I played against the same opponent that Christoph, uh, that Victor faced off against earlier, the Oops All Spell guy. And in game one, I think you can imagine what might have happened. I did not have a counter magic in my hand, and he just goes off on turn one. And then a lot of cards can go in. I have a Digger's Cage. I have found five counter magic. I have one Torpor Orb. That will stop the Thassa's Oracle. And I switched out the Soul Guide Lantern for Tormod's Crypt, so that can go in as well. I keep a hand with Counter Magic and a possible turn 1 Torpor Orb, because I have Emery, Petal, Bauble, no land. But, you know, like the Emery can play the Petal next turn again, uh, if needed. And if I draw a land, I can just slam the... Torpor Orb, and I have Counter Magic backup for all of this. It's a little bit sketchy, but I think it's a keep, and I do keep it. And he plays land go, and so I get to take my turn, and I do not rip a land, so I deploy the Emery. And I make this micro decision to keep the uh, the bauble in play, because next time I can redeploy the, the Petal with Emery, and if I should rip Mox, I have Metalcraft with the bauble. And like in hindsight, I think this is a bad play I should have just looked with it because the odds of drawing a land in two cards is much better than drawing a land or a mox in one card so like from from that standpoint I think I should have just looked with a bauble and the bauble should have drawn me a blue card for having two forces up <laughs> which I would have needed because he goes off I force and he packs and I don't have a blue card for my other force. So a little bit of a misplay perhaps, but also a very strong hand from my opponent fighting through double force. So quite fast games, quick loss 2-0 against Upsol spells. And uh, yeah, that concludes my tournament run. I ran in 3-4, made quite a lot of mistakes I should say, like the not getting Perhaps all the reps that I should have needed for this kind of tournament feels like the deciding factor here. And uh, maybe a little bit of like needing to to like shrug off mistakes faster and not like carrying them into the next game. It's also important. So quite a learning experience for me there. And I'm not really satisfied with my results at all. But I do think that I, I brought a good deck and a good tuned deck. I, I liked most of my slots in the deck. And I've been running, you know, uh, a little bit of my own list where I go up to all the four Kappas and all of that. And uh, it has served me quite well. I, I like Kappa all, all day long, kill a lot of opponents. And uh, like if the first Kappa dies, I usually can draw the se second Kappa when running four in the, in the deck. So. Very happy with experience, even though the results didn't really get there. It's one of the decks that a lot of people aim to beat also right now. Yeah. So it's uh, it has a target on its head for sure. And, you know, like you said, that Mishra play, it's, it's always going to be tricky, you know, to fully see what you could draw. But, uh, you know, I think not dwelling too much into... Uh, some losses, just trying to learn from how you felt during the games is uh, the best outcome, uh, yep. even if you're not satisfied. So, uh, Victor, how was your last opponent? Well, my last round, I got paired and my opponent didn't show up. So uh, I was angry about that. A couple of other people down at the bottom tables, of course, where I was hanging around that didn't have opponents coming up and just like, is it difficult to drop yourself? Could also be that the understaffed tournament uh, made them miss that people actually were dropping, I don't know. But uh, I 
didn't have an opponent for the last rounds. That was pretty sad. In general, I echo Robin's thoughts. I brought a deck that wasn't super bad, but I didn't have enough reps in my body to make a couple of easy mistakes, but also knowing how to make the decisions that give it that sort of tiny advantage that you need because a lot of my games were tight but i lost uh, all of the tight games and that i think says a lot compared to the nationals for example where it brought uh, the same deck to a much better result i think i was essentially better prepared yeah not much more to say about that but i had a really good time and like on the train ride back which immediately we're lying there sort of supposed to fall asleep at our night and just like i want to play another tournament like right away <laughs> It was so much fun. Yeah. And the social aspects, uh, the meeting people, everything was great. So if I was feeling sort of bummed about my results, that went away as soon as we ordered in the first post-tournament beers, waiting for the train to take us home. Really, I had a really good time. And that was, I mean, that was my main aim as well. Like, I, I went to Tier 1 Con to have a good time, not to Top 8. Yeah, that's uh, that's my mentality going to tournaments also. Like, even from Gothenburg where I made ninth twice, I still had you know such a fun time playing. So it didn't matter, and uh, you know we all love this game, and that's uh, that's why we play it. And uh, sure, it's it's really fun to top eight, but it's even more fun to play magic with friends and make new friends. I just want to say that it's it's so fun to play. Even though it was regular rulings, it felt really competitive, obviously. And it it's so fun to play in a competitive environment, in, in a large tournament, with high stakes, with skilled players. All of that is uh, such a nice experience. And I, I was just, I wanted to run another tournament the next day, <laughs> like feeling it like uh, like an adrenaline rush. So that, that was really cool. And uh, I agree on what Victor said about like the social aspect. We, we hang out with the, a couple of guys from the Lance Discord on the evening before and then we hang out with uh, some of the Stockholm players and also some of the modern players from Stockholm. And it was a really nice social side to the the event. And uh, yeah, very nice experience as a whole. Oh, that's super cool. So uh, for those listeners who hasn't heard about the top eight of this tournament, uh, I'll just run it down real quickly. It's uh, first place, Lance. If I understand correctly, they did the top four split. I think they split the prize money and played for glory. Yeah. So in first place, we got Lance. And in second and third, we got Elves. So it's uh, two Elves players in the top four. Then we got, of course, the Blue Red Delver. In fifth place, shout out to uh, someone we got to uh, meet and uh, learn more about at the Nationals, an Alluren player. Shout outs to every Alluren player out there. Uh, In sixth, we have another Lance player. Seventh, a Painter player. And eighth place... Another Delver player, blue red. So it's uh, it's a pretty pretty stocked top eight with the outliers of Alurn and Painter, which makes me happy because those are two of my favorite decks. But yeah, it's not shocking. Yeah, and some spicy spicy decks coming into the top eight, I should say. Like the Lands deck that won run four main deck spheres. So like he was on his own list that nobody is playing. That's really cool. And also the painter deck is, is was really interesting with all those colors. Yeah, look it up. At, uh, I think the deck list is available at MTG Top 8 or other places. It's an extremely spicy list. So do check that out. 
And uh, that is all we have for this week. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed recording, as always. Next week, we'll probably not record, as at least two-thirds of the podcast will be traveling, and hence not playing the legacy, but we shall see. We might record anyway. Who knows? If you like our podcast and want to support us in a quick and easy manner, you can tell a friend that you think should listen to it. That really helps. Another low-effort contribution is to rate us in whichever podcast application you use. Christopher and Robin, you should also rate us. I can tell from the number of ratings we have that you have not rated us if you want to talk more with us as also was said you can please come join our discord you can find the link in the episode description and in addition to discord you can find us on twitter at sthlm legacy stockholm legacy we are personally present on some social media as well robin where can our listeners find you when you are not in the woods well when i'm not in the woods i'm on the discord server you can also hook me up on facebook under my ordinary real life name and uh, i'm quite active on uh, legacy on reddit as well under username yakabo yeah and you can find me on twitter at uh, monolith mtg and i'm also on twitter at disco drogo and that is the end of the 53rd episode of Stockholm legacy report thank you robinson seal and christopher hijack hidatsugu wikstrom this was very nice indeed warm thanks to all of you for listening the great frenas has written our music you can find their work on spotify until our next episode stay golden everyone <laughs>